Do your friends actually like you? 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 16. Jonathan went to strengthen David's hand in the Lord. We'll talk about that in just a moment. David and Jonathan's friendship is one of the best known in all of Scripture. And our society certainly needs to learn something in regards to friends and friendship. Uh, Let's see if I can get this to forward. Three points I want us to give consideration to this morning. Friends and food for thought. We'll talk about society in a little bit uh, and our concept of friends. And then we'll talk about friends, David and Jonathan, and then friendship rooted in God. So I'll go ahead and bring up that first slide there and stop that from running all the time. 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, in verse 16. I know we read from 1 Samuel 18, and that's where it mentions that Jonathan's soul was knit to David, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But a little further ahead in 1 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, in verse 16, it says where Jonathan arose and he went to David in the woods. And he strengthened his hand in the Lord. David was in trouble. (laughs) And Jonathan put forth the effort to go to him, to go see about his friend. So as we get into the lesson this morning, I want to ask you, as you think about 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16 and what what Jonathan did, let me ask you, you do you have a friend like that? Would you like to have a friend like that and are you that kind of friend so we've been studying first samuel and we've come to that point where we're going to talk about david and jonathan and that friendship that is there and it will run throughout the rest of first samuel and then at the end of i don't want to be a spoiler here but at the end of first samuel jonathan's going to die But the effects of this relationship, it will carry over into 2 Samuel and for the rest of David's life. And so it's very worthy of our consideration and of our study. So this morning, first of all, I want us to give consideration back up for just a minute to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter and verse 1. And talk about friends and food for thought as we think about our society and as we think about our understanding of friends and friendships in the world as it kind of stands today. In 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter and verse 1, it is where David has gone and talked with Saul, the king. Jonathan is Saul's son. And after David talks with Saul, then it says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David after that. And the question that comes to mind is, why? <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you just want to keep in mind what what is stated right there. That Jonathan's soul was knit. That's like bound to the soul of David. The words friend and friendship gets kind of thrown around loosely nowadays. As I was doing some research in preparation for this lesson, I came across a book that was written by a professor from the Princeton uh, from Princeton University and he wrote this book on friendship and so I didn't have time to read the entire book so I read reviews about the book right <laughs> you got to cut to the chase <laughs> and one reviewer said he spends 300 pages trying to explain what friend and friendship is and then ultimately in the conclusion 
he tells you what it isn't. And it's agreed that sometimes in regards to friendship, it's easier to tell you what it isn't than it is to really describe what it is. So in the end of that book, he states, this is what friendship isn't. Friendship is not a means to a higher social status. I'll explain that in a minute. Think about Facebook. Okay? So friendship is not a means to a higher social status. Secondly, he said friendship is not a way to wrangle a weekend at someone's vacation home. (laughs) Have you ever seen that happen? You know, if I got to be good friends with them, they might invite me to their beach house this summer. (laughs) He says, that's not friendship. Another professor of literature wrote a book along the lines of friendship also. And so I'll borrow a quote from him because I really liked this quote. And I think it fits in well with David and Jonathan. He said, friendship... It's not so much about what someone can do for you. Friendship is who and what the two of you become in each other's presence. There's a lot of truth to that. And I think that really fits in with Jonathan and David. Who and what they became in one another's presence. And the effect that they had on one another. Now I'm going to tell you where the title for my lesson came from. Do your friends actually like you? That actually came from an article that was printed in the New York Times. And what they were doing is they were writing an article about social media and friends and friendship and so forth. And so they did a survey to go along with this. And the title of the article was, Do Your Friends Actually Like You? They said on Facebook, this is of all the users, on Facebook, the average person has 150 friends. 150. It's a lot. But in their survey, they said out of those 150, only 28 are considered, (laughs) now listen to this, are considered low-level friends. Now, I don't even know what low-level friend is, but anyway, it's like low-level friends. It's just like they would just say your friend, I guess. And then out of those 28, I thought this was interesting. If you were to express some kind of stressful situation or some kind of crisis that you're going through and you would post that on Facebook that there would only be 14 that would actually take the time to express some kind of sympathy towards you. (laughs) 14 people out of those 150 that would actually respond and say, sorry, you know. And then they said out of the 14, if you were really in need, emotional distress or crisis, maybe, maybe four would actually do something, respond. 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16. David was on the run. He was hiding in the woods. Jonathan got up, went to him, and it says that he strengthened his hand 
in the Lord. The point of the article in the New York Times was, think about the way the word friend and friendship is used in our society. And then think about, does that word actually mean something to us? Let me give you the definition. Friend. A friend is a person whom we know well, we are fond of. A person who is a supporter, a sympathizer, a reli- who is reliable, loyal, helpful. A person on the same side with us in a struggle. That's a friend. People we know well, people we're fond of, people who are reliable, loyal, helpful, that we can count on, and they're on the same side with us in a struggle. In Proverbs, the 18th chapter and verse 24, the writer of Proverbs says, a man who would have friends must himself first be a friend. At the close of 3 John, John writes and he says, Greet the friends by name. In John the 15th chapter, Jesus himself said on the last night that he was with the apostles, he said, I have called you friends. And so we think about that. And we think about the way in which it's kind of thrown around in our society. And you think about that definition. You think about what John says. You think about what Jesus said. You think about what the writer of Proverbs says. And you think about what does it mean to be a friend and have friendship. So now that brings us to Jonathan and David. But as we start to look at their story, there's a couple of things that I want to bring to your mind from the scriptures in regards to friendship. Because within the scriptures, friendship is spoken of in two ways. There's a positive and there's a negative. So in the negative sense, James the fourth chapter in verse four, James says, friendship with the world is enmity towards God. So you may have a lot of friends, James is saying, and you can have a lot of friends in the world and be friends with those who think like the world, act like the world, and you could be associated with them but he wants us to understand then you would be then at enmity with God. Those may be your friends, but this is being opposed to God. In John the 15th chapter, once again that same section where Jesus has called the apostles his friends, right on down in verse 19, he said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. But because I chose you, and you are not of the world, the world hates you. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, if you're with me, and I'm your friend, and you're my friends, then you've got to understand that the world is going to hate you. That won't be your friend. Now from Luke the 23rd chapter and about verse 12. Think about this. This is the day in which Jesus is standing trial. And before he's crucified, he's passed back and forth between various trials. 
and quizzed by certain ones. Two of those were Pilate and Herod. And in Luke, the 23rd chapter, about verse 12, it says that Pilate and Herod became friends that day. Why did they become friends? Because they had a common enemy who happened to be Jesus. And so it comes to understand. You could be opposed to him. You may become friends with various people, but then you're not friends with Jesus, and so we keep that in mind. So the Bible speaks in negative and positive ways when it comes to friends and friendship. There are things that we share in common. It's like Brian talked about the table talk. So in John 15, Jesus said, you're my friends. We share things in common. Third John, greet the friends. We share things in common. So now then, drawing a little closer to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter in verse 1, where it says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David that day. Well, what day was that? Well, if you back up to chapter 17, that David has been to talk with King Saul, and why did he go to talk with King Saul? Because David has just killed Goliath, and so Saul wants to speak with him. And so David goes and meets with Saul. Now, keeping this in mind, since we've been studying 1 Samuel, prior to this occasion here, has David ever been to the palace before? (laughs) Sure has. (laughs) And why did he go there? Because he was skilled in playing the harp. And Saul has certain emotional issues, can we say? And so it's recommended that he would have a musician come in and play the harp for him whenever he's under these stressful situations. And that would help soothe him. And that's what he does. That's David. But not only does David play the harp and help to soothe Saul's emotional stress, now the Philistines are drawn up in battle against Israel and David shows up on the scene and kills Goliath. (laughs) He's helped the king again. He's helped the entire nation again. And now Saul says, bring him. I want to talk with him. Who is that? (laughs) And so David comes to the palace. Now let me ask you this question. Do you think on those occasions... When Saul was stressed, do you think his son ever knew about his father's tantrums on occasion? Have you ever, as a child, been around a parent that's having a tantrum? It's kind of scary. (laughs) David's been coming to the palace. He's been playing the harp. He's helping to soothe Saul. Do you think Jonathan appreciated that? Oh, I think so. Do you think Jonathan appreciated the fact that David killed Goliath? And he helped out his father, the king, and he helped out the nation in their battle against the Philistines? And let me ask you this. When David went out against Goliath, 
What was it that he asked those other men that were there, those soldiers, about Goliath? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the living God? He's a man of faith. So let me ask you about Jonathan. Remember 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter? There's those pesty Philistines once again. And the whole nation is concerned about this. And Jonathan, remember? And his armor bearer do what? They set off by themselves and head towards the Philistines. We're going to fight. And what does Jonathan say? God can deliver by many or by few. Is he a man of faith? Is he a man that is ready to go to war to fight for God's people and for his God? He sure is. And so when you look at the context of 1 Samuel the 17th chapter, 1 Samuel the 18th chapter, then you understand 1 Samuel the 18th chapter, verse 1, where it says, And that day, Jonathan's soul was knit to David. You know what he was saying? That guy's just like me. We got something in common here, don't we? And so their souls were knit to one another. But now then, moving on down to 1 Samuel 18 chapter, David has killed Goliath. That has relieved the whole nation. That has also greatly helped the king because following him killing Goliath, you remember what Israel did in regards to the Philistine army? Then they attacked them, scattered them. The whole nation's relieved. And they've heard how David, the shepherd boy, killed that giant. But now as David is returning, and the people in various cities and villages hear about this, they want to go out and express their sort of gratitude. And what do the women do? They go out and sing. And what do they sing? Saul has killed his thousands. But David, has killed his ten thousands. Saul hears that. Wait a minute, hold the phone. He's getting more credit than me. And so the one who had helped him out has now become his enemy. That's a threat to the throne. If they give him more credit than me, who will they want to lead them to be their king? So David becomes Saul's enemy. In the remaining part of chapter 18 and into chapter 19, what you see is David constantly ducking and dodging because Saul is liable to throw a spear. He does throw a spear at him, intending to pin him to the wall. And then when he's not able to just do it himself, he sends out his squad to David's house. And David has to escape out the window. And so he's on the run. So by the time you get to chapter 20 and verse 3, there's an occasion where David is able to talk 
to Jonathan. And he says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is only a breath between me and death. Jonathan's kind of surprised by all of this. And this is what amazes me about Jonathan's response in verse 4. He says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. That's my father. Amazes me that he's trying to kill you. But I know you, David. And I know you're a good man. And so he says, whatever you have me to do, I'll do it. You're my friend. So Jonathan and David devise a plan to help David stay alive and to escape from Saul. Because now, so to speak, the battle is on. Saul is out to get David. But here's the point. It's not only war for David's life. It's war for his soul. This is what you got to keep in mind. Satan doesn't have to kill you or me to have victory over us. All he's got to do is just get you to sin. And in fact, if he can get you to sin, if he can get you to be on his side, he'd prefer you stay alive. Because now you're serving him instead of God. And so a lot of times what happens in trying circumstances and in difficulties, and especially when we feel threatened, You know what our natural instinct is? We're going to lash out, aren't we? And it may not always be in a godly fashion. And if you do, Satan's got you. So he's okay with that. David has been chosen to be the next king. But not yet. David's anointed king when he's probably 16 years old. He won't take the throne until he's at least up in his 30s. And so in the meantime, he has to be patient. He has to wait. And so there'll be other lessons from Jonathan and David. (laughs) Because what David does and the way he doesn't lash out against God's anointed, which is Saul originally, is pretty amazing. And he says it was not be right for me to do that. He has more than or he has more than one opportunity on various occasions to take Saul's life. And he doesn't. <laughs> and that's another part of David that is amazing. So in that situation, David needs to stay alive, but he also needs to stay godly. 
So in the midst of this battle, in this desert of sorrow and struggle and strife that's going on, David's looking for an oasis. And you know what God does? He sends him one. It's called Jonathan. So God doesn't deliver him from the battle. He sends him Jonathan to support him in the middle of the battle. That's God's way. It's still his way. In John the 16th chapter, that same night, Jesus was the apostle. He tells them, in this world you will have trouble. (laughs) That's not a maybe. That's a fact. In this world you will have trouble. So what's God done for us? Why don't you think about a couple of things here. 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, and about verse 10. Peter writes about those who are struggling in the 1st century. And he says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. What's it saying? God said, I'm going to use the battle to establish you, perfect you, strengthen you, settle you. Let me ask you another question. David was anointed when he was 16. He's not taking the throne until he's well into his 30s. Do you think God is preparing him as leader over Israel and over my people, I need to whip you into shape, David. <laughs> I need you to make you into the man that you're going to need to be in order to lead. These people. This won't be the only stressful situation <laughs> you'll ever face in life, David. David. But I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a friend. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. In about verses 10 through 12. Remember where he talks about us putting on the whole armor of God? But then he tells us why. Because we do not war, we do not wage war, we do not fight against flesh and blood. But we wage war against principalities and powers in higher places, in spiritual darkness. The war is really against Satan. And Satan's just trying to find out whose friend you are. (laughs) And if you're on my side, I'm going to use you against these people who are friends of Jesus. And so Paul makes it plain. That's where the war is. That's where the battle is. So we're the called out. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. We are a part of Christ's body. 
Ephesians 5. We are members of one another. Romans 12. We are God's adopted sons. We're part of His family. And what that means is being a part of His family. You always have a seat at the table. And so God intends for us to recognize the battle. He intends for us to recognize we have friends. Third John. Greet the friends by name. God wants to put meaning back in that word friend. So thirdly. Friendship is rooted in in God. I'll go back to 1 Samuel. I'll read to you from chapter 23 and about verse 42. 1 Samuel 23. Let me get that right. 1 Samuel 23 and verse 42. Yeah. That's chapter 20. <laughs> I'm looking all up and down in chapter 23. I was like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 20 and verse 42. <laughs> then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between me and you, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. May the Lord be between me and you. What he's saying is that's the connecting link. That's the thing that ties us together. And the Lord is a witness between me and you. As one commentator said, they had the Lord's presence in their friendship. But what does that mean? (laughs) That they had the Lord's presence in their friendship. It means they had the Lord's influence in their friendship. What that means is is that God sets the parameters and the principle for that friendship, for that relationship. And so it's their individual commitment to the Lord is what makes the relationship work. Both committed to the Lord is what makes that relationship what it is. David and Jonathan both individually were intent on, focused on, passionate about doing God's will. And because that was their focus, that brought them to a place where they could enjoy this friendship, this relationship. But you know what else that did for them? When they were both focused on the Lord, and that brought them together... This is what else it did for him. It got the egos out of the way. It got the personal comfort out of the way. It got the selfish agenda out of the way. And now it's about God. And both of us serving God. That's what was between them. 
they demonstrate what C.S. Lewis calls the essence of friendship. He says it's a common quest, a shared vision, and a unified mission. Friendship is about something. See where it changes the focus? Now here's the kind of quirky part that goes along with this. So once again, as I was reading, friendships can develop in various ways. But it's about something. There's some kind of common ground. It might be about growing tomatoes. <laughs> you grow tomatoes? I grow tomatoes. <laughs> you ever known of any women, women that like to make quilts? <laughs> you quilt? I quilt. <laughs> There's a common ground. And that's what this saying. They had a common ground. And that's where the relationship started. But God being the director of each individual one and then the director of that relationship. So God brings life-changing relationships. And how do you make a life-changing relationship? You set out to love God, obey God, and it's the love of God that becomes first in your life. And you make Him your rock, your refuge, your fortress, and your strength. You set out on that mission. And you say, this is the best vision. This is the best mission for life. And you say, my life is about doing God's will. Because He suffered and died for me. And then as we grasp that vision and that mission, you know what happens? You bump into other people that have the same vision and the same mission. And that's what makes that bond possible. David and Jonathan's friendship on the surface was actually unlikely. Think about this. David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had his own armor. David had a harp and a sling. Slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace and was trained in war. David grew up in a little town of Bethlehem and was trained in sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son and he was next in line for the throne. David was the youngest of eight boys but was anointed the next king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Jonathan's next in line but David's the one that's going to be king. And they are best friends for a lot of folks. And I'd have to say, <laughs> it might be me too. <laughs> that might be a showstopper. <laughs> but because of God, that relationship becomes possible. Jonathan was from the tribe of Benjamin. David was the tri from the tribe of Judah. And despite their differences, they were the best friends that's ever known. 
So I'm going to close with this thought. And once again, this is from C.S. Lewis. And I want you to think about this. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of books. <laughs> I've read some of them. This book is entitled The Four Loves. And this is what he says, and he's commenting about Jonathan and David and that kind of relationship and friendship. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not being raised at first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are strictly speaking no chances because a secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating in good taste in finding one another. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each one of us the beauties of the other. God revealed David to Jonathan and Jonathan to David. <coughs> Friendship is a gift from God. But we need to understand friendship according to God. Our society has kind of a loose understanding of friends and friendship. And on the surface, David and Jonathan's friendship didn't seem very likely. But it was through a common quest and a shared vision and a unified mission to love and to serve God that they became the best of friends. That's how Christians should make friends. A common quest, a shared vision, and a unified mission. Jesus said, I have called you friends. If you're here this morning, never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's your opportunity to declare that Jesus is the one whom you want to be your friend and you would be a friend to him. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, have you made the wrong choices? And do you need to come back to him as your friend and fellow Christians as your friends? If we can help in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.